Hey, my name is AJ Risley. I'm sponsored by Dynamic Discs, and you're listening to the Chain Clinkers Podcast. You're listening to the Chain Clankers Podcast with your hosts, Quinn Ferris and Horatio Gonzalez. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chain Clankers. What's going on, everybody? Horatio here with the Chain Clankers Podcast once again, and with my partner here, Quinn. Today we had a super awesome episode, lots to share with you guys, knowledge, fun stories, you know, some fun, inspirational stuff. Um, there's definitely some cool, you know, tips and tricks there, but overall it was just a really good, just humble chat with AJ, a lot of good his story, and it was a lot of fun. This one's a little bit more laid back. Hope you guys enjoy it, but Quinn, tell us a little bit more what they can expect on this episode. Yeah, so this episode, like you can see in the title and uh, like you heard in the intro, we're talking to AJ Risley today. Awesome guy. And, and if you l- listen to this podcast and if you enjoy it, please do what he says at the end of the episode. Support Dynamic Discs and let him know that he sent you and that you listen to this podcast and uh, we helped send you over there. They, they've got a couple of new discs coming out, so definitely check them out. We do talk about the Evader uh, in this episode and hype that up some more. So if, you, if you're looking for any, any news about that, definitely check it out but uh we we talk about aj's story we talk about the power of positive reinforcement right we talk about you know maybe changing the par levels a little bit as well as we talk about growing the sport the difference between disc golf and ball golf and what potentially the future of the sport could look like um and then to kind of wrap up the show we talk a lot about uh aj's wrist injury and what that has been like for him and some difficulties he has faced and, and what he's trying to do moving forward and then we have some really great great answers to our ace round questions there's a really inspirational story in there you're gonna want to make sure you stay tuned through the end if you haven't already leave a like rating if you're watching on youtube if you're super excited for this interview uh we've got a ton of good content in it so you're gonna want to make sure you listen all the way through the end if you are listening on apple Podcasts, spotify or anywhere else we highly appreciate if you hit that subscribe button right now so you never miss another episode and without further ado let's bring aj on AJ, how's it going, man? Super excited to have you on today's podcast. How are we doing? I'm doing well. Doing real well. Yeah, feeling good. Nice. Fantastic to have you. Uh, we just joked around a little bit that that intro was super clean. Sounds like you've been doing radio forever. We did listen to you on Disc Golf Answer Man a couple of weeks ago. Um, so super excited to get you back out on the airwaves. Um, like I said, Really excited to have you here. We're going to have a great discussion today, talk about your origin story. We're going to talk a little bit about the wrist injury and just rehabbing that, getting back to uh, full strength. And yeah, we got a full show lined up here, guys. So let's just kind of dive right into this, AJ. Where is the beginning of your disc golf story? Where, where does it all start for you? It, it starts in my, in my backyard of my childhood home in San Marcos, California, and but before that, I guess, yeah, I could go even further. Um, my dad has been playing for since, well, yeah, since the late seventies. And so in that, in the backyard of our, my childhood home, we had, we had a basket in the backyard. Um, and it's an, it's a old DGA Mach one, an original from back, from back in the seventies and early eighties. Um, a basket that my dad won by acing a hole in a tournament that used to be the tradition back then was when the sport was first starting. If, if you got an ACE in the tournament, you, the DGA would send you a basket of 
from the whole number that you aced. So the sport has come a long like, way. I, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I, I thought you were going to say You just got to take the basket home. You ace the hole, you know, you get to take the basket home. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought for a while too. And then he's, and then we've talked about it uh, on and off. And so, yeah, that little, that little hole in the story has been patched up. Cause yeah, I, for a few years there, I thought, wait, you just like, what if, what if I did that? I don't have room in my car to, uh, or I'd have to kick someone out and, you know, have them catch a ride with someone else. So I got room for the basket. So that, but that basket, yeah. uh, it was, it was in the backyard at, in my childhood home. And so those were like the first memories of disc golf that I have was um, just running around in the backyard doing playing with other things and uh you know maybe a dog or soccer ball or, or something but the basket was there and we had and we had frisbees from from time to time that we would toss into them and then um when i was about 10 years old my my dad took me down to uh one of the oldest courses in san diego and california and really the the whole country um morley field disc golf course and we played around there and I was, I was not ready. <laughs> I was, I was like just a squirrely little 10 year old. And anytime my dad said, no, try, try this, you know, like, uh, you know, or wait to, you know, I, anything, I was just not having it. So I was a little impatient. And so we decided, okay, well, we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll try disc golf again. If, in the future if if that's something you want to do that's that's what he told me and he uh he's been playing for so long and it's definitely his life passion life's passion and so a, a couple years later after that first trip down to morley field we tried it again and um and i was and a couple couple different things had changed in my young life i was 12 years old or so and so i was a little bit more receptive to it and he uh and my dad learned, learned a few uh, different techniques that really helped me enjoy the sport and enjoy his company. Um, and so I just fell in love with it right away. And a couple of those things that I mentioned were like, um, if we were playing in a group with, with other people and th that course is usually pretty crowded, whenever the, the group in front of us got far enough ahead, he would say, AJ, you can go ahead and throw. You're not going to hit them. It's okay. So go ahead and throw. And so I was excited to throw first in the group and everybody yeah. encouraged me as I threw. So that was super, super helpful. And then really like one thing that I don't really hear too much about um, with, with kids growing up these days is everything that every hole I played was a par four instead of a par three. So the course was all par threes, but my dad said, it's yeah. a par four for you. And so that really just, that really just freed me, freed me up to just have fun. And so that was when I was 12 and I think, and I have just been going ever since and I'm 29 now. So. That's awesome. Did your dad did it ever feel like he was pushing it on you or was it pretty natural at the beginning that you wanted to do it? I think he, I mean, I think he had those feelings like, okay, I'm, I'm coaching too much. I'm coaching you too much. And I, and I agreed with that. I didn't want to like, 
I didn't want to be like, yeah, dad, what the heck? Get off my back. I wasn't, I wasn't really that kind of a kid. I, um, and so I think that was, that was pretty much, that's how he felt. And then since then he's, since then he, he's been my coach, but he's been almost more of a, almost more of a mentor than a coach, a little bit of both. Um, we, since, since I've been playing, he's, he hasn't, we never really talk much about form or at least up until now, really. Um, we, we never, we didn't really focus too much on that. There wasn't really anything like, Oh, you're doing this wrong and, or you should be doing this or you need to practice your putting every day for 30 minutes there. We didn't really have that. He just kind of said, this is, this is the sport that I grew up on and the sport that I love. And, and I would love it if you played yeah. with me and sure enough, I, I loved it too. And we would just, we would go out on road trips in the summer and just to play new courses, courses that we hadn't played before. And so, and that was back in like 2004, 2000 through 2007 um, before, before smartphones, before a lot of like navigation and all that. And so it was, it was a pretty, it, it was a life-changing experience for sure. Cause it was almost as if we would just threw ourselves in the deep end. Um, not so much in like terms of competitive disc golf, but just like, okay, we're going to go drive for a few hours and then find some courses. And all we have is paper. All we have is paper roadmaps and all we have is the, the paper, the book, the course directory book. There wasn't, there was, there was no U disc and um, disc golf course review.com was, was just starting around those times. So it was a, yeah, it was kind of like a fight or flight experience um, on those road trips and I'm still flying. So I, and I couldn't be happier. That, that's awesome to hear, man. Uh, did you ever get lost when uh, trying to find any of these disc golf courses? Of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, we would, yeah, I mean, we would joke that, um, he and I will joke that when it comes to directions, we're just 100, we are just so good at 90%, the first 90%. And then we get off the highway for the last 10% of the trip and – Oh boy. Uh, yeah. Then we pretty much just forgot the, the other 90%. And so we, yeah, we definitely, definitely, it took us, it took us some time to find some of these courses. And then there were some courses that I think we either stumbled upon them somehow or I don't know. It's uh, yeah, it's, it was difficult, but I, I vividly remember, um, one summer when I would, when I took a paper map of Phoenix, like the greater Phoenix area, and I went and highlighted the courses and, and then highlighted, okay, we want to take this street and then this street. And so I was like, I drew on this big paper map, I drew, highlighted the courses, drew the directions in between. And then like the next summer I did same kind of thing, but with a, with an Excel spreadsheet and some like pretty some basic mapping software. Yeah. And so I just looked at the, I looked at the course directory or the course directory website, I think, and then put in the latitude and longitude for each course and 
made a note of how many holes, what kind of baskets, what kind of tees, and then put that all in a spreadsheet and imported it into the mapping software. And that was our 2007 road trip was, uh, was based off of this database that I kind of, that I spent uh, summer school creating. So uh, it's, it's just crazy to see where, where the sport is, has, um, has gone since then. Yeah. That's really awesome. Especially having those memories, you know, with your dad, we've definitely had a lot of guests on who say like their origin story kind of, and it's always like, you know, kind of my dad. And I mean, it's obviously like a lot of sports. Um, it's definitely male dominated. Even to this day, you know, there's a lot of males uh, that play disc golf compared to, you know, females. And we're trying to, we're trying to help grow that, help change that, like, you know, get more females involved. But definitely a lot of these stories have been, you know, my dad started me. And mm -hmm. it's really interesting to hear. It's not like your typical, like my dad played baseball or football in college. And he was really hard on me. He wanted me to do good. He put me in, in soccer or baseball practice since I was the age of six. And, and basically forced me to do it, go to practice five times a week and get better. You have to do better. You have to do better. Because in their mind, they're living through you. And they want you to do better than they did. And they want you to, they want to see you on the NFL Super Bowl Sunday, you know, <laughs> eventually that's what they're thinking of. But yeah. when we hear these stories from these pro disc golfers, that's not the case. It's more of them. They're like sharing something that they, they love and they find peace in almost. And they want to pass it on to their kid and help share that with them. It's not like, and there might be those parents, you know, going forward who push it on their kids. But it's never that. It's more just sharing that that enjoyment with their kid, and that's really cool to me. I I totally agree, and I yeah I, I I love to see it so much. I mean, it's because just what you said. It's disc golf. The something about it that makes it unique is just that it's it's fun. It's unequivocally fun. I I don't. There's you know now. I mean, yeah, we've got plenty of competition, plenty of elite level competition. Um, but man, it's just fun to, it's just fun to throw and watch the disc fly. And then, and then you kind of mix in the sound with the chains, which couldn't be more addicting. Yeah. So, you know, it's, yeah, I can, I mean, yeah, I can definitely see why a parent would, would want that to be the shared activity between them and their child. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's a really cool thing that we have going. And to harp on a little bit of what Horatio was saying, a little bit of what you were saying as well, I think it's really cool that your dad looked at it almost as if it was a like a bonding experience, a friendship building activity, that kind of thing. Like, hey, this is something that we're just having a good time doing. It's not, you know, oh, well, you need to work on your form. You need to practice an hour of putting a day. You need to throw 300 by the time you're 13. These kinds of things where I think that burns a lot of the youth out nowadays. Um, you know, you see kids who play uh, baseball for 10 years before they're even 16. And then, like, how do you expect these kids to keep going and wanting to find that motivation? You know, of course, some will, but I feel as though a lot of them will, that motivation will be gone. And instead of it being something that they love and they want to continue to do their whole life, it's, well, I'm, I don't really want to play baseball anymore. I'm, I'm done with baseball. I'd literally rather go do anything else, Dad. Like, stop it. Um, so I think that's a really, really neat thing that you were talking about there. I think something also that I picked up from your story that is really interesting was your dad saying that it was a par four for you. And it kind of brings a little bit of a debate 
that I think should be discussed more in the disc golf community is mm-hmm. that for those that maybe it's rec or novice or junior, whatever it is, I think on the T signs on U disc, whatever it is, I th- and maybe it, it's none of those things. And people just have to be more open to it, to the idea that things can be par four. Not everything has to be a par three because it will allow more people to have fun and want to continue to play disc golf instead of, you know, oh, well, everything for me, the, <laughs> it, it takes me four shots to get there anyways, but I'm plus 18. I'm terrible at this sport. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So w- what are your quick thoughts on that? Do you think maybe that's a good idea or, or did it work for you or anything like that? What, what do you think? I think that's a great idea. I, and I look at uh, Morley Field again and their T signs, they, they have – they have like pro par and, and some holes will have standard par. And then, and then there's always an am or a, yeah, an am par as well. And so it's most of the time it's, yeah, it's a four instead of a three. And, um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, I think that would be a great thing to see more of moving forward because it just kind of, it puts a little bit less pressure on, on the sport. Um, Unless, unless people, but unless people are open, like you said, because I also look at, at uh, traditional golf and people are stoked to, just to break a hundred, which is 20, which is yeah, 28 over par on most courses. So like, yeah. what's, what's the difference? How, like, what's, what's going on with disc golf that may, I don't know. My hypothesis is that disc golf is still in its infancy it's pretty small. And so the, like the, the ceiling, the skill ceiling is, is here and the skill floor, like right when you start is here. And so there's, you know, it's a, if you're just starting out, it seems kind of reasonable to be able to be up at that scratch yeah. level thousand rated play level. Um, whereas, you know, maybe other, other sports, especially traditional golf their you know, their floor and ceiling is, it's a world of difference. Um, and so I, that might have something to do with it. Um, the, just that in, in disc golf, it, any, it's anything is possible. It seems possible still. So I don't know. It's, it's, uh, that's an interesting point though. Interesting topic. Yeah. Cause I think like regular golf, I don't follow regular golf or know very much about it, but I feel like that, it's a little bit more standard as far as the courses are, you know, it's usually open. The distances are about the same as opposed to disc golf. Like even here for my own town, everything for disc golf, that's uh, part three. I can go play one course where everything is part three and score a certain score on it. Same skill level, same day, you know, when everything the same, go an hour later to a course across town. That's the same 18 hole part three and get a completely different score. Because this one might have more trees, this one might have some more difficult uh, holes as compared to regular golf, everything is going to be a little bit more, there's going to be a standard where like, I think the disc golf, you go play in Pacific Northwest or other places where you have a lot of wooded places, way more difficult than playing some of the ones where they're open courses. So they have to up the distances, you know, it's like a par four or five, but it's like a thousand feet. So I think that's a little bit of the difference where that might be. And it's difficult to make that standard of where if you're here, this is how good you are when you have such a variety of courses. 
That's, that's a very good point too. Yeah, totally. And I would say that, yeah, I would say that that's just, that's just what makes disc golf unique. And one of the, and one of the things that, that really keeps me coming back is just that is just the fact that every little part about the sport and especially the, the arena, the courses that we play on, it's just ever changing. And there's, it's completely diverse. It's there. Each hole is like a snowflake pretty much. They, there's not one that's like that. It is exactly like the other. So it's a, I think, I think that's pretty cool. So it's, I mean, it's interesting one because we want like a lot of disc golfers. I won't say all, a lot of disc golfers want the sport to, to get bigger and to grow and to, or perhaps one day to be as big as golf, bowling, darts, um, skateboarding, or even now I think we can lump in, um, cornhole into that. Oh yeah. It depends on how North you go. If you go farther North, it's called bags, but you know, there's plenty of people that (laughs) there's plenty of people that want disc golf to be as big as, x y and z and so i think when we when we get too caught up in that thought and that topic we lose we lose sight of the things that that make disc golf disc golf and just completely unique so it's a you know i I do enjoy talking about it because it's learning how to how to grow the sport is it definitely interests me um quite a bit because yeah because i i'm one of those people that wants to see the sport grow at the same time i i am not going to abandon some of these some of these principles and qualities that make disc golf what it is i'm not ready for that either so which is which is cool because that's the way life works nothing i mean it's not it's nothing comes easy so and the more we talk about it and understand where we are the the better picture we'll have and then the smarter we'll be so it's uh yeah I think that's a really good thought. And I also want to say that I believe disc golf is at a very critical junction in its life, right? Because with COVID, unfortunately, COVID has done so much bad to the world. It's done a lot of good for disc golf. And it has grown the sport significantly. It it gave disc golf a, I would like to think it gave disc golf the opportunity to be on CBS, to be on ESPN and get those primetime slots, which (laughs) without COVID, who knows if that would have happened because other sports are going on. They don't need to fill the content. And it was really interesting. We didn't see what was the case with the CBS coverage, but with the ESPN coverage, it literally beat out everything else that ESPN was putting on. So if disc golf can get another opportunity to do second, continue to do that and bring in these viewers, I I think we could see disc golf get to the point where it's as big as bags. It's as big as bowling, uh, if not getting bigger. And of course, if, if all of y'all listen to our intro podcast, uh, we want to help to grow the sport. That's why we like talking to guys like AJ. We want to do our part to grow the sport because we love the sport as well and believe that the more people we can get into the sport, the better the sport will be. Um, so if you're not subscribed already, hit that subscribe button. Definitely do that. And, and let's go on a journey together. Something I want to ask you, AJ, and just kind of while we were on the, the topic of ball golf versus disc golf, what do you think of bunkers in disc golf? Now, some places, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the DDO has traditionally played bunkers as just out of bounds. But other places, I want to say it could be this Vegas tournament coming up, if not other places as well. 
have played it where it's a stroke penalty, but you just throw it from where you're at. Um, you don't see a whole lot of courses on disc golf, or you don't see a whole lot of disc golf courses on regular ball golf courses. Um, but I think bunkers could be something that's added into disc golf. They don't have to be huge bunkers like they are in, in ball golf, but maybe just another little obstacle out there. And it doesn't have to be at every single course. Maybe it's just championship level courses or something like that. Um, but I think it might be a little something interesting to spice up disc golf. What, what are your thoughts on bunkers? And also as well as if it should be OB or just, you know, stroke and then you just play from where it lie yeah um i don't know i i i don't really think i have like one blanket opinion um for the whole thing because it's it's kind of it's a little bit out of my control and usually it's up to the to the tournament director or the course designer um and yeah i don't know i my favorite way to play it if I had to choose, I would say I would say I like the. I think I like the hazard rule um, the best because I've played. I, I grew up on a course where that was on a ball golf course um, as well, and the greens were the baskets were fair. They were just past the green. We played alongside the, the ball golf layout, and so yeah, the greens were out of bounds, and the bunkers were normal OB as well. Um, so if you landed in the bunker, you play your next shot from where you were last in bounds. And so like, I'm you, I'm accustomed to that for sure. Um, and I, I don't hate it. That's, I don't hate it either. So I don't know. It's, it's uh, it's kind of a toss up. I definitely can see like the pros and cons in either scenario, but I, I think I do like the, the hazard play. It just feels, it feels a little bit more like natural just to the pace of play. Obviously it doesn't, feel natural to me in my, you know, in my upbringing. But when I think about, okay, you play the disc, you play your next shot, you play it where it lies, that kind of thought, the, the practice where the, the bunker is a hazard and you play with a one stroke penalty from where your disc landed in the, or came to rest in the bunker. I'm for that. I think it blends the, um, it blends like the natural rhythm of disc golf with, with that challenge um, that, that the bunker provides. I mean, it's, it obviously gets a, it becomes a different issue if the ball golf course that the disc golf course is on is like still, still running, still up and running. So it's like, if you're going to play on an abandoned ball golf course, kind of like the preserve um, up in Minnesota, it's like, who cares about the sand pits? Yeah. I mean, that, that, at that point, I, I would kind of disagree with uh, playing the hazard and I would say, okay, well you just have to make a putt from, from some sand instead of grass. So there you go. Yeah. I would say that definitely already adds a hazard of its own having to throw or putt from sand. Definitely. We could see it um, last year. Yeah. At the tournament, some of them were struggling to do that because they were just playing sand as you know, just part of the course. And yeah. on that subject, it's pretty interesting. Did you enjoy, you know, you said you grew up or playing on a old ball golf. We have one here in town also that it's been retired. And I think mm-hmm. we're starting to see a lot of other ball golf courses being retired. Um, and some of them converted to disc golf, but they're huge. They're like immense. Usually they're good for pro level golf tournaments, but for just your regular person, they're huge. 
Um, did you enjoy that? Do you think that's like something that's good maintaining those courses or just taking part of it and cutting into one um, or two, I, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, I think there's positives to that, to that situation. I, the course that I, um, that I played at when, when I was younger, it was called Emerald Isle. And um, it's a, it was on an executive length ball golf course. So the holes were anywhere from like 75 yards to 250 yards and maybe a little less. Um, so our disc golf holes fit pretty well on that same course. Um, and so if now we have another course uh, around um, in Oceanside, California as well, that is um, on a, on a larger ball golf course. And that's the, that's Goat Hill Park. And so that one, the comparison between the two is, is um, pretty significant. And so, yeah, I would say that like the longer ball golf courses, if, uh, if they're super duper long, like you're, like you're describing, um, then yeah, I mean, maybe 36 disc golf holes is, is a bit more appropriate. We see the same kind of thing, um, in Vegas at the wild horse golf club. I think that's just 18 holes of ball golf and they've got at, at times they'll have 54 holes of disc golf. So I think that, um, yeah, I mean, it's usually subjective, but I, I do like playing disc golf on ball golf courses, whether they're, um, retired or not. I, I think it's fun. And I think it's, I think it's a different kind of challenge and which I, I fully embrace. I think that that's what, I think that's what golf is about in general is just how can you, how can the golfer adapt to the, to the environment? And so if it's a completely different style of course, then that's just means more, you know, more adaptive, adaptive skills. So, or at least adaptive skills that are required. <laughs> yeah. Um, something that I think is interesting is, you know, as disc golf continues to grow, gets more media coverage. I've heard this on a couple of other podcasts before and just some other pros talking there were kind of, there's kind of an idea that maybe like wooded courses are going to become more and more difficult to play for like the pro tour or national tour or events that are being filmed because it's harder to get the correct amount of cameramen in there, get the shots, those kinds of things. And Horatio, I want to say either we were talking about this or you mentioned this on one of the podcasts before that the rate at which disc golf courses are like opening compared to ball golf courses are closing is like almost perfectly inverse or something like that, where <laughs> disc golf courses are opening at the same rate that the ball golf courses are closing, um, which could lead to more retired courses becoming disc golf courses, right? So do you think maybe there's a potential shift in disc golf towards taking more of those, or maybe that would be better for the sport to play on either, you know, in commission uh, courses or those that are retired, that would be better for TV. That would be better for coverage, those kinds of things. Or do you think that it's just something where every now and then, you know, we'll have those tournaments like the DDO when they play um, at the country club or, you know, other courses like that Vegas, I think they primarily play uh, on a ball golf course as well. What, what do you think potentially the future of disc golf could be? I think, uh, yeah, I think at the elite level, I could see, I can see a, a big shift like that taking place. Um, and I think that it would be maybe not, maybe not welcomed at first, but I think it would be appropriate. 
Um, and I say appropriate because, because if you look at the entire history of the sport, the disc technology and the equipment technology has, has just, it's evolved that such a, I mean, it's just evolved immensely. So the wooded courses that the sport started with those, I mean, it's not as hard to, well, let me see how I can phrase this. I mean, like the, the older discs that were, that were new back in the eighties, they wouldn't go as far, but they, you could control like the flight a lot. You could do different things with the disc. And so you could float it around corners. Like if you're throwing a, if you were, had a rock or a stingray in the late eighties. And that was like the, the hot new disc was, were the, was just that like a stingray yeah. and um, being able to control that at, at a high level is much different than being able to control a, you know, a, a Raider at, at a very high level. And so I think that at the elite level of competition, um, th- you know, the sport has just changed. Um, just, just from like what's possible with the, with the equipment. And then that kind of brings in, okay, if that's possible with the equipment, well then at the sport that wants to challenge that wants to challenge that skill. And so that's where I would say it's appropriate for, um, it, like the elite level of disc golf to be played on those big courses where, there's the challenges are more suited for those high speed drivers. Um, and, and so I think we'll see, I think we'll probably see more tournaments on those big wide open courses, but with OB, OB landing zones and islands and just different challenges to the, the thrower's ability to control their high speed disc, especially like, and especially controlling that disc and where it hits the ground and how it hits the ground and how it reacts. Cause that is a pretty, that's a pretty yeah. difficult task to, to really, um, to really get specific with that. That takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of skill and touch and a lot of other things. So yeah, I think, uh, I think, it, I think we, it's possible that in the future we'll see, um, you know, the elite level played out at the, at the big, ball golf old ball golf courses but then people will still have their local courses that are short par three in the woods and every hole is somewhere between 250 feet to 350 feet there's no reason that that has to leave the sport entirely but there are reasons why the the elite level of the sport should leave those courses yeah and I think even though if it might get to that, it would still be good for it to be a variety. I think that's one of the things that makes the sport totally. so exciting right now is that you one week you might play in a wooded course, next week you might play in the DDO where it's wide open, you know, a lot of long shots. And the week after that, you might be back in the woods or somewhere where there's a lot of uh, hazards or out of bounds or something like that. It's not as free-range throwing. And you don't know who's going to win there's not necessarily someone dominating. I think this year it was impressive. I think Calvin Heimberg and Eagle and maybe Paul were one of the few to win multiple um, DGPT tournaments. Like there wasn't 
there wasn't the same winner every single tournament. It was multiple people, and that's because there's a variety of courses. You know, we play in the woods, we play on old bog golf courses, and that's what keeps it exciting. So that you're not going to have that one dominating player that is just good at long throws with no OB and who's just going to completely dominate. So I think that's part of what keeps it really exciting. Hopefully, you know, that's what it's going to attract more people to watch is that there can be, it's almost like teams, you know, back in the day, I guess thinking about Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods was dominating and it was just kind of him and maybe someone else, the underdog who might take him down. It was just him versus the rest of the people. As of now, you might be, you know, Team AJ, or you could be Team KJ, or Eagle McMahon, or Paul. There's so many people to root for because they all have a good shot of winning, which is good for the sport, I think. Totally. Yeah, the Disc Golf Pro Tour has has an amazing product. They really do. I mean, it, they've got this amazing nine-month-long product that that they've tailored to to the fans. So it's it's pretty cool, and it's a uh, it's Another cool thing about it is for me, like as I'm contemplating my position in the sport in general, um, sometimes I do get afraid that I've, you know, fallen off or afraid that I won't be able to keep up with the, the kids that are 10 years younger than me and better than me. But I am comforted by this thought of, well, the disc golf pro tour just keeps growing and it keeps Get, you know, getting broadcast to more and more people. And I would love to, I would love to work with them at some level or disc golf network or, yeah. or Jomez pro. So it's like, it's just speaks to, it speaks to where the, where the sport is, where our society is in terms of like what we, what people want to watch and what they're, what they show that they will watch. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. So I, uh, yeah. Interesting. Interesting tangent, um, but but yeah, I think that we're I think the sport is in a really good place, and so yeah, and I totally agree with what you said about anybody being able to take down a big win, and I love it. I just I it makes it so much more exciting. Yeah, I, I want to say I heard Nate Doss say this on coverage. It was like for the first time in over a decade, there had been like three different winners in three weeks or something along those lines. And I think it got to the point where it was six different winners in six different events, which has not happened in forever. And yeah, Horatio, I'm, I'm pretty sure you are correct. Eagle won twice, Calvin won twice and Paul won twice and everyone else only picked up one. Um, so that, I mean, just that in and of itself is showing that the, I, I want to say the the skill level gap at the highest of the high is starting to close and that more people from the field can go out and win these tournaments. Uh, anyone can win the USDGC. Anyone can win any tournament, any weekend, which I think is really good for disc golf because something that you were kind of mentioning this, Horatio, with, with Tiger Woods and ball golf, it literally got to the point of why even watch? you know he's going to win. And I've heard other people say this when it, when Paul was just absolutely dominating. If he's up by six strokes with four to play, why even watch? 
it, it, it doesn't matter. So I think disc golf is getting more exciting. I think the skill level is uh, tightening down, um, which, which all is, is, is very good stuff there. But something else that I think is good for the sport and in, in helping grow it is the fact that when we are dropping new discs, i.e. Um, the two new discs that DD is getting ready to drop, the uh, I'd let, make sure I don't mess this up, it, the Evader, the fairway driver, which looks really, really good, and then the Emac Judge, which are both coming out, and the hype about all these new discs that are coming out. We see other companies have new discs come out and be very successful. We've seen some top pros who their discs sell out in literally two minutes or less. Um, yeah. which literally breaks websites, which is incredible. And I think really good for the sport. So AJ, I, I don't know how much you can talk about the evader or about the EMAC judge coming, but I know our fans who definitely love to jump in on new products and would probably love to hear a little bit about them. Yeah. I've uh, yeah, I, I was just throwing, throwing the evader out in the field today and uh, I have, let me, let me grab them real quick. Yeah, there. It's uh, it's a really it's it's a good disc. I mean, it's not like, yeah, that's a great view. <laughs> there, there it is up on the roof where it should be, um, the fris- frisbee graveyard. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a speed seven disc, and I think it it complements the explorer pretty well. It's almost like it fits in between an explorer and a getaway. It's uh, same same speed as as an explorer same same type of like rim width so it's not it's definitely a fairway driver and then it's it's kind of overstable um i was throwing it throwing some fan grip shots and then a few power grip shots and it was it was reliably overstable for the maybe dozen dozen throws that i that i just today and uh yeah so i think that one's going to be that one's going to be a real winner um, for the for the DD lineup, it's it's just a, a good controllable fairway driver that that does glide quite a bit and and it has that overstable finish. Um, I think the best advertisement for the Evader right now at this moment is on Eric Oakley's Instagram page. If uh, and man, I get I just. I, I smile when I think about it because it's he throws this shot in the woods just down this tunnel and you can tell he rips the disc. He throws it pretty hard he, and he throws pretty hard and the disc just screams out of his hand and it's just going straight, straight, straight down this hallway and at like 300 feet out of his hand, it just starts to drift a tiny bit to the right to get around a couple trees and then you watch it lose some speed and just fade right back to the left. And I think, uh, you know, I mean, it's going to be tough for everybody listening to this podcast to be able to do that right away. But that disc is capable of. It's capable of handling a lot of torque and still finishing a bit to the left with that right-hand backhand throw. So I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a good one. It's, it's going to be versatile and, and reliable, which is what a lot of people enjoy out of their Frisbees. When is that one set to come out? I don't know. I don't know exactly when when they're releasing it or when the um, when the release of the stock discs will. What that date is? I do know. I, I did see something um, today on Dynamic Discs Instagram page. Um, 
for, I think it was a fundraiser for the United States Amateur Match Play Championship. And the fundraiser disc was Moonshine Evaders. So again, uh, go out, go and check out their check out their website or their Dynamic Disc website or their Instagram page. And there, I mean, there's some pictures of of the discs. And I know that Emac Emac also had a uh, he did a review video of of the Evader. So not exactly sure when they're coming out, but I do know that they are they're good. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely sounds like something that should be added into the bag. Uh, and I think it, it, from everything that I've heard, it sounds as though it's something that everyone's going to be able to throw and have a little bit of fun with. So yeah, super excited for that drop in to get it. Uh, I think one last thing we want to talk about before we get into the ACE round, AJ, is let's talk a little bit about your wrist injury. Um, where are you at with that right now? What are just maybe a couple of challenges that you've had to face along the way to kind of getting back to where you were and just continuing to improve from where that was? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, where I'm at right now is – I would say I'm, I'm getting closer to about like 80% power or 80% capacity, I guess I could, I would say, um, at least compared to where I was at the, in the beginning of the 2019 season, um, right before I sustained the injury. So I'm, I'm feeling really good. I, uh, I've been going to my physical therapist, uh, twice a week for, for a few months now. And I've been hitting the disc golf strong workouts um, pretty consistently as well. And, and then I've gone out and I've been picking up uh, the picking up more field work and more putting practice and adding, adding more of that in and, um, and things feel good. I, I, the problem that I initially had was, was just some pain on the ulnar side where the ulnar side of my wrist, where the pinky meets the, the forearm um, and I remember it was in 2019, 2019 worlds, the first round, I kind of, I tweaked it partway through the round and I wasn't sure why. And I, but I knew that something was up because I had this just like jolt of pain right around in this area, um, that I had never felt before. And so I kept playing through that round and I, played the next day and fin- I finished the tournament. I <laughs> made the cut and cashed. So it wasn't like a complete loss, a complete failure, but I did kind of lose a year of my life. So <laughs> we'll see, we'll see how it, how that works out. But um, so I, I kept playing and that just kind of, that made it a bit worse. And, and then I didn't, I didn't know what was, what the issue was for, for about a year. I went back home at the end of that 2019 season with in pain. Um, and I went to the, went to my doctor and they, and she said, well, (laughs) it was, yeah, it was kind of depressing, but she said, yeah, I mean, there's not much we can do for you right now. Um, we can prescribe this physical therapy and then, and some other like, uh, ibuprofen gel. And so, and that was it. And so I went to the physical therapist and we tried to figure out what was wrong. And, and the, the terrible thing was just that I couldn't, I couldn't exactly recreate the, the pain and recreate the motion. I didn't know for sure, like 
this is what is wrong. This is like, oh, watch like when I do this. I mean, for anybody who's been to the, had a checkup for some, something like if you break a finger or I don't know, anything really. And the doctor's like, okay, well, can you do this? Like, does it hurt if I do this and this and this? And so the doctor did a few of those and the physical therapist did a, f- a few of those tests. And I just was not feeling the same pain that I felt when I threw. And so they, it was hard for them to really diagnose what was wrong. And they didn't, the, my health insurance didn't want to, didn't want to go in and, and give me an MRI exam right away. Um, so I went through physical therapy and I was strengthening muscles in my forearm, upper arm and shoulder. And I started throwing again, um, at the end of 2019 going into 2020. And I felt, uh, I felt better, but I think I was still a little bit afraid that I could, I could make things worse, that I could re aggravate that injury. And so like you asked, what was the, what have been, what's been the difficulty, the difficulty and what's like the most difficult. And it's that meant it's the mental space. Um, and dealing with an injury like this, it has been extremely difficult on the mental and emotional side. And really what it kind of boils down to is just that for a long time, I was afraid to, I was afraid to send it. That's what Oakley and I would, when I talked to him um, about this is, we kind of determined and he, cause he, cause he could see it. He could see that when I was, when we were doing field work together, he could see that I was throwing, like I was, I had been working on my form and I was like ironing things out and I was looking pretty smooth, but he could tell that I was just afraid to fully send, fully send it and just throw full power. And so, and he was right. I was, I was afraid. I was afraid of that pain because just because of that nature of the beast was that I don't feel it all the time. You know, some people say that, you know, people describe different types of pain, like tingling or shooting pains or burning pains for different types of, um, different types of injuries. And I just, it was so like, it was so hit and miss and come and go. And, and so that was just tough. And then I really, I just, part of me didn't want to accept the fact that I was injured. I, even though I was off of, off the tour at home and seeing a doc, you know, going to the doctor and seeing a physical therapist, I was still, I was still resisting this idea that, that I was injured because I felt like it was this idea that, and I had this fear that, okay, well, sorry, bud, you're injured. Now you have to give this up and get a real job. That was like the demon that was, you know, in my head and telling me like, no, man, keep, keep doing it. Keep, keep throwing and don't tell anybody that it hurts. And it was, I just kept digging myself into this hole until, um, until I was back on tour for the 2020 season. And, and the first three tournaments I was, I was able to throw and things didn't hurt, but I was just so far in my own head that I was I was just unable to play my own game. I would look at, I would look at everybody else throwing and I was like a combination of jealous uh, that they were able to do, you know, do what they were doing, just carefree. It seemed like, um, and I was just nervous that I was going to, that I was going to slip up and re aggravate my injury the whole time. And then I was just afraid, afraid to tell people how I, you know, how I felt about it. 
and what and that I was scared. I was afraid. I was scared of being scared. <laughs> and so um, it was tough. And I, I, you know, I definitely had like an emotional breakdown and kind of hit rock bottom at one point and, and then, and then left the, left the tour this past season to go back home. And so once I did that, um, I did, I finally got an MRI. I told the doctors like, Hey, this still hurts. It's, it's, you know, it's now it's, it's the same thing a year later. I, I need this MRI. I got to figure out what's going on. And so I got the MRI and the results came back. They, they came back pretty good. They, and they said that there was no, no significant damage to any of the tendons or the bones or anything in that wrist. But what the MRI did find was that on the other side of my wrist, there's a, there's a ganglion cyst like in there. And so that's what the MRI, that's what the MRI found. And then my physical therapist was telling me, he described, he described the wrist um, and like the, the fascia, the fascia that's in your wrist is a little, is pretty much like a rubber band that goes around your whole wrist and kind of keeps things nice and tight, keeps things in place um, and then can move and move about a little bit. It's flexible. And so what was happening was in that rubber band, there was this knot, this cyst that was mm. kind of pulling on that rubber band. And so the, the tight side was, was on the ulnar side. And so, yeah, but that, just that like revelation and that MRI, the results from that was just this huge weight off of my shoulders that gave me some, gave me some confidence and some trust in, in, um, in my body and what I was, what I was doing to better myself. And so that MRI was, yeah, it was just a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. And so I started, started throwing again after that. And, um, and I've just kind of, I've been taking it a little slow with the, with the, um, throwing in relation to like the, the other cross training. Um, and so now I'm going to, and so now I'm, bumping that up but yeah i mean that's that's pretty that's a that's that's kind of uh, at least those are like the main bullet points to the injury it was uh it started as as just a awkward throw that I, I i don't think i was either my hips weren't open when i when i was pulling through or i didn't follow through all the way um and so that's kind of what led to that little bit of pain um and then yeah. And then from there, I just kept playing on it and didn't really, didn't rest enough. I, this, uh, 2020 towards the end of 2020, I mean, I took like two or three months off of throwing with my right hand, which was the longest amount of time since, since those road trips that I mentioned earlier, since I was 12. Yeah. So it's crazy, man. But yeah, it's, uh, I think, when I think about like the, the couple months leading up to the initial injury, I, I realized that I was, I was playing a lot. I was I was practicing so much. This was right before worlds and or it, the injury was during the first round of worlds. Um, and so I was, I was out there in Peoria those couple weeks before just pounding away at, uh, at Northwood and, and Eureka Lake. And then, even like a couple of days before the tournament started, I had whooped 
I whooped Eric Oakley and Calvin Heinberg in a game of horse that lasted like two hours. And I won. I just want to, I got a relish in that victory because Calvin is an amazing putter and Eric is an amazing putter. So it's, it's kind of nice to have that little victory. I'll keep it on the shelf with me, but like just the amount of, just the amount of practice, the volume of throws that could have been what led to the injury too. So I try to be a little bit more mindful about how, how much I practice these days and just making sure that it's like quality over quantity. For sure. That's definitely one thing when we uh, talked with disc golf strong on here, he was like the bad, the worst thing about disc golf is that we can pretty much play as much as we want. Like there's little, very little that holds us back, especially if you live in somewhere with nice weather year round. Yeah. It's not super physical on your body that where you can play all day, every day if you wanted to. And that's where a lot of injuries come from but right yeah just if you're just pounding away pounding away at the throws and you don't give the your body time to recover it's it 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 catches up with you just like just like anything else really it's there's you know there's a reason why we why we get oil changes even in our like little rinky dink toyotas that aren't trying to pull you know huge you know loads of goods like semi trucks are it makes sense that they get proper regular maintenance but then my prius why does it need an oil change oh yeah because it's you know it's still functioning on its level and our bodies are our bodies are pretty much the same way so if there's one thing i learned from all that it's take care of yourself guys make sure you're not overworking it if you feel a little bit of a pain hey take care of yourself um like like i said AJ, I think you're going to be doing some big things here coming up. So can't wait to see you back out on tour once we're fully good to go there, my man. Um, but I think we are ready to get into the ace round. These are the same five questions that we like to ask everyone we bring on the show. So let's start here with number one. If you're taking a buddy to go buy their first set of discs, what is one putter, one mid-range, and one driver you would tell them to get when they're just starting out playing? Well, uh, let's see. I, I do have like... I do have like an obligation now to be pretty careful and selective with that. I would say that, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, can't go wrong with a warden and an Emac truth and an explorer. That's, I would say like, that's, I'd be pretty confident. I might even change that if it's, if it's my buddy's first time, then I would say I might even switch it up to a, a deputy and a bounty and a maverick, but it's, yeah, it's, Super important to have something that wants that will turn a little bit to the right, especially yeah. when you're starting out. So, so the discs that the discs that don't require a whole lot of power, those that those are they're really fun to throw, um, and and it's just that that's what you want when you're first starting out. I would, and that's yeah. that's definitely what I want my buddies to, you know, I want my buddies to have fun the the first time they're starting out or the, yeah, the first time they play. So that's. Uh, that, those are my picks. Cool. Perfect. All right. Question number two, your favorite course you have played and the number one course you would love to play. My favorite course, Maple Hill. That, that one is, is it's really, it's difficult. It really is difficult to pick just one favorite course. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, Maple Hill is kind of just this blend of wooded and wooded golf, open golf, water shots, Island holes. It's just got it all. And it's just beautiful and it's serene. Um, It's yeah. So Maple Hill, Maple Hill just has my vote. Um, And then one that I haven't played. So many people talk about Yarva um, and I've, I've never been, I've never even been to Europe. So I think that any course over in Europe would be, would be pretty cool for me that just, just thinking out loud, like I would, it would just feel, I think I would feel it. Like I remember, and I've told a couple people about this recently. Like I remember this feeling I had as a 14 year old when I was first starting and my mom drove me like 15 minutes to the, to that Emerald Isle course that I mentioned. And it was 15 minutes from home and it, and I played by myself and I think it was like the first time I had played without my dad, maybe. And I just felt like liberated. And I felt I yeah. couldn't help, couldn't help but think like, wait, where am I? This is strange. Like I'm only, I know where I am, but this is just, it's, it hit me. And so I think yeah. I would have the same kind of feeling in Europe, even at a, a little pitch and putt nine hole course. I think I would enjoy just knowing that, wow, I, I did it. Even now, like, with the context that I, that's of my life, um, I would like, I am super appreciative and grateful that I'm a professional disc golfer and that's what I, that's my, you know, that's my occupation. And so like that doesn't really get old to me. Um, yeah. And so I think that if, if I, you know, if I were to the first course that I play in Europe, I'll have that feeling like, wow, this is, I did this. I, I got myself to this level in my life. And I got myself to, you know, to a different continent um, and probably just ace out, probably throw all aces. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be awesome to see. That would be awesome. Imagine, <laughs> imagine the first, first hole, whatever it is over there, just getting that ace. I think, I think at that point, it's like, all right, guys, I, I got to retire. This is it. This is the right. peak. We, we are done. <laughs> Let's get on the next plane back. We're out of here. Just oh, hit the ace, awesome. turn around, guten tag. That's awesome. Just leave. Dude. I don't know what I can't remember what guten tag means. <laughs> yeah. All right. Our third question we got here for you is: What is one tip you would give yourself if you could go back to when you first started to take disc golf seriously? I would say hips, hips, bro, hips. Open the uh, you know, bust down the door with that hip. Just get in there. Oh, like yeah. that's yeah. I would say. It's all in the hips. If I had, yeah, because I, I think that, yeah, who knows what that could have done to, uh, to that thir- 12, 13 year old AJ. Um, a little bit of that and uh, a little bit of, I mean, Paige Pierce mentioned it, mentioned this in a, in a pod, in a, a different podcast. Like she would tell, she likes to tell the, the kids starting out, like follow through follow through like keep the keep your arm keep your body going follow through and i think that's pretty important too and i know that if i would have if i if that would have been a priority for me growing up then i wouldn't have would never have had any elbow issues and i probably probably wouldn't have this wrist issue so um so yeah just like those form kind of things i would say to myself and then Man, the second thing, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say one thing because in the past, past six or eight months of my life, I've been doing a lot of reading and a lot of like self-exploration. Um, and, and I think the lessons that I've learned as a 28 and 29-year-old um, 
are just the, just the context again in my own life. Like, I don't even know how I, like, I would be a completely different person if I was able to, if I was able to forgive myself in the ways that I am now, if I was able to do that as a teenager, dude, I don't even know. Like I, yeah. I would just, I would be, I would be sighing a lot and it would be just a sigh of relief. I, my whole life would be a sigh of relief. And I, yeah, who knows? And that's, and that's why we do this podcast. Like I know there's listeners who are listening right now, younger or just started playing. You have not made these mistakes yet and you don't need to. You have AJ here telling you he's been playing for years. Learn from his mistakes. You know, he can't take those back. He can improve, but you don't have to make the same mistakes. You know, you can skip maybe a few months or a year in your game and jump forward in distance or, you know, in uh, ability just by listening to these little things that he's talking about. So you guys are always asking, you know, our followers on Instagram are always asking, you know, how to improve, how to improve, but it's these little things. And, um, that's really awesome. All right, next question. Your favorite memory playing disc golf? Gosh, that's a, that's a good one too. Um, is it the ace that you're going to hit over in uh, in Europe? Is is that it? Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I look forward to that. That's for sure. I, but I, who knows what that that little mountaintop? Who knows what the view is going to be like from that? Um, uh, man, my favorite memory playing disc golf dang it that's so tough I, and i even had one that i don't think i got to share on the mctaco podcasts a couple of weeks ago they asked a similar question and and i and i was i had one um what was it oh, shoot you got dang off it. and the later you were in the shower and you were thinking you were like oh i should have said that <laughs> yes yeah what? yeah i've got i mean i've got a lot of like there's some shoot there's like random ones there's funny memories and then there's like meaningful memories with plenty of life life lessons i mean the one that i keep going back to is um just this like a this uh, the story of i i shot a i shot a 1095 rated round um back in 2014 and it, it 1095 rated round is doesn't come it doesn't come that often to anybody in the sport and so i was just i was blown away by what i was able to accomplish and the week prior leading up to that just it made the whole experience exponentially more astounding to me um a week before i was driving back across the country from Massachusetts with, with my friend, Max Nichols, who we, um, who was my touring partner, um, back in the day. And the two of us were driving across the country in my, in my Subaru and the, got into Utah, Southern Utah and the car overheated. And we're in just the middle of nowhere, barely any cell signal. And somehow we, we got a tow truck to come and get the car, um, and take us to, a tiny, uh, pretty, yeah, pretty small town in Southern, Southern Utah. And I had very little money in my bank account. I had maybe like 50 bucks. Max had, Max was, was doing all right. He was playing pretty well. And so he was able to buy the, you know, pay the, pay for the tow truck and the hotel room that night and X, Y, and Z. And then we just had this like, 
crazy little crazy span of 48 hours where we were stranded on the side of the road in the heat with like one bar on our cell phones. And then we're, and then we're like putting this stuff, we're putting like this powder from the, from the auto parts store in the radiator tube to hopefully, hopefully like seal up the crack in the radiator. And then we're, and then we were, we would, we spent the, the next night um, driving, we would drive until the car started overheating again, and then we would stop on the side of the road and maybe put some water on it or put some water in the radiator and wait for the heat to go down. And then we, maybe an hour or so, and then we'd start up again and drive for maybe another 30 minutes. And so that was like eight hours in the middle of the night doing that. Luckily, we didn't get, luckily we didn't get killed by an ax murderer. Luckily, the car didn't explode and all that. And then we finally made it to like, again, the side of the road, another tow truck picked us up and drove us into another town, Mesquite, Nevada. We finally made it into Nevada, Nevada. I don't know what, I don't know. Um, And then my dad and my sister drove eight hours from, from our house to come and pick the two of us up. And we had all our stuff, like all of our stuff that's crammed in this Subaru we took it out and we're sitting like outside of this rinky dink uh, casino resort up, you know, not even in Vegas. So, you know, imagine that. And then, so we're sitting outside, someone comes out and tells us like, Hey, you guys can come in with your stuff and just like chill inside. So it doesn't look like you're homeless outside because you're driving business away. I don't think it was that bad, but, and then my dad, came, my dad came and picked us up. I pretty much, I left the Subaru there. Um, I left the Subaru. It, it overheated again. And so then I'm getting, getting back to the 1095 rated route. And then, so I'm back at home, no money. I'm talking to my mom, crying in the living room saying like, I'm so close. Like we're, we've got like four tournaments left. And before um, you know, before the fall semester begins and I, uh, yeah, I just want to, I just want to play these events, but I, I don't have any money. Can you, can, can I borrow some money? And she lent me $500. I went up to Silmar, um, with Max that next weekend we played in the summertime open and yeah, I just shot this, the round of my life and, um, <laughs> and it was, it was amazing. And I was just a, a testament to um, the support system that I had and that I still have. And um, a testament to like just those, that positive, that positivity that we all have within us and yeah. how that can lead us and guide us past these obstacles that seem like they just seem insurmountable. I, 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 I just can't even, like looking back on it, I just don't know how I, how we did it, but we made it through and I was, and I found the zone that, that Sunday. Yeah. And, um, I showed myself like, I showed myself that I can do it pretty much. Right. So I, yeah, that's, that's gotta be the most memorable experience for me. 
Hell yeah, man. That That is a moving story right there. Hopefully some other folk can take some inspiration from that because golly, that, that is one hell of a story, my man. I don't think we've ever had anything quite like that on this podcast. So that was really awesome. And we definitely appreciate you sharing that one. The last question we got for you today, AJ, again, man, we appreciate you coming on. If you guys have enjoyed this podcast with AJ, make sure you leave a like if you're listening on YouTube or hit that subscribe button wherever you're checking us out. Um, but the last question we got for you, AJ, what is the number one thing you see new players doing that is like a mistake? What, what, what is that biggest mistake you see new players making? I, I saw it just yesterday. Um, when the new player throws their tee shot or any, any shot on the fairway and then immediately starts walking forward. And they're, and they're usually playing in a group with like two or three friends. And so I'm like, I've said it multi, like countless times in my head, but man, that, they'll learn. They'll learn the hard way with that disc, when that disc hits them in the back of the head. Like I just don't understand how, I mean, I, I, I understand it, but it's just yeah. hard to accept that. But what I see the most is the the kid with the shoulder bag throws his shot and he's so engrossed in his own world, but I can't blame him, but that he just picks up the bag and starts walking, walking ahead to his disc while his buddies are right behind him still throwing. Most of the time it's like in the fairway. So, okay, there's a little bit more of like grace. There's a little bit more, you know, room to breathe or whatever you would call it. Um, but it's just, I, I just don't understand it. I just, I, yeah, it's hard to wrap my head around, but I see so many people do it. So I would say like, just watch your friends throw. Yeah. That's the, that's the advice. Watch, you know, throw your shot and watch your friends throw. And if you're in a group with all your friends and everybody's watching each other throw, you guys are going to be pretty good pretty soon. Like it's, it's amazing. Again, like, kind of goes back to how my dad um, got me started. It's like this positive reinforcement and attention yeah. is just, it, it does wonders on, um, on the human mind. So, yeah, I'm really glad you said that. Cause literally when you were telling that story way back at the beginning of the episode, the thing I wrote down, I wrote down positive reinforcement exclamation point. Um, yes. So I'm really glad that the, the show literally came full circle right on that note. Um, AJ, where can the people follow you at on Instagram? And uh, before we get out of here, any sponsors you want to thank? Yeah. On Instagram, you can find me at Risby junior R I Z B E E junior. Um, all one word. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I have, uh, I have an interesting Instagram, uh, page feed and stories. It just kind of, it's, it's my life. It hops around all the different kind of aspects from cooking to pets, to music, to disc golf and the Simpsons. Um, oh, Hey, yeah, I still got the house background. <laughs> um, and then, and then even I, I have a YouTube page as well and I'm not, I don't post videos every week. Um, you know, I, but I, but there's videos on there. I've, I've had a YouTube page for quite a while. And so, uh, uh, there's some videos on there that I think people will enjoy. I don't know which people, but someone out there <laughs> will enjoy it. So, yeah. Um, and then man, again, as, as I stated before, dynamic discs, oh my gosh, they changed they that they yeah they've done so much for me in the past few years and um i'm just uh, i'm just moved when i get a chance to to pause 
and think about like what they've done for me and the people that I know and the, the memories and, and just those experiences, even if it's just like walking through the warehouse and saying like, Hey, what's up? Like dynamic discs. Thank you. Thank you so much. And please, if you're watching this out here and, and you want to support me in some way, you can please support dynamic discs and you can tell them that I sent you and uh, <laughs> we'll all be better for it. Cool. Awesome, man. This has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much for taking the time, you know, to be here with us. Definitely can't wait for you to be, you know, hundred percent healthy and back out there doing what you love. And we wish nothing but the best for you this season. And I'm sure we'll have you on again, man. Love talking to you. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> and yep. Just thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you both. This is, yeah, I really, uh, I'm, I'm just looking forward to, to being able to, sh to share some of the, the knowledge that I've gained um, just throughout my whole life. I think that's kind of part of the human experience is, is sharing, sharing those experiences with others. And so uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun today and I really appreciate uh, you guys reaching out and asking me questions. Thank you for listening to the Chain Clankers podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chain Clankers and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us from so you never miss another episode.